In this episode of Fintech Flow, I had a really interesting conversation with Akos Deliaga, who is a co-founder of Talkabot, a chatbot provider startup. Originally, I wanted to talk to him about one of the world's biggest accelerator programs, Techstars. Of the 480 companies from 38 countries around the world, they were among the top 10 and get into Techstars accelerator program. Besides talking about that, he also helped me understand how effective a super application-based chatbot could be. They have recently signed their 2 million euro investment, so I needed to talk to him about that and Akos revealed who their investors are and the interesting business development strategy they decided on. Welcome to Fintech Flow, where we deep dive into the depth and complexity of successful startups, sit down with bright fintech minds and bridge together the gap in mindset between the legacy players and today's innovators. With 10 years experience as a manager in the financial sector, MIT certified fintech expert Linda Schalai is prepared to put it all in play and to follow the flow. Hi Akos, welcome to Fintech Flow. Please introduce yourself and your company. Hi, thanks for having me on the on the podcast. My name is Akos Daliaga. I'm one of the co-founders and responsible for business development at Talkbot, which is a Hungarian startup that could be easily defined as an enterprise chatbot provider. Let's start at the very <laughs> beginning. Uh, I understand enterprise, but uh, what is a chatbot? How would you define that? Chatbot is a software that has a piece of AI, artificial intelligence in it, that understands natural language, can uh, define the intention of the, of the user and respond in a relevant way in, in most of the cases. It is very important to say that the chatbots that we create normally sit under the social chat platform. So the likes of Facebook Messenger or Viber or, or Snapchat even, we can, we can list all the different uh, chat platforms and, and that makes a huge difference because altogether, last time I checked, 2.5 billion people chat every day, every day. There are more users. Only the top three chat platforms have 4 billion users. So there's a, there's a huge market and there's a trend called super applications. So these chat platforms become super apps. Probably the best example is WeChat from China that is definitely leading also the chatbot market as well. They have enabled chatbots about five years ago and nowadays, like in Europe, if you have a business and you don't have a web page, you don't exist. Similarly in China, if you're not on WeChat, if you don't have a, a chatbot service, you don't exist. So that, that's a standard. And uh, this has started in Europe about two years ago. It's picking up very fast, more and more companies want to have a presence with chatbots on these chat platforms simply because that's the place where you can reach your users, your customers. So maybe instead of trying to direct the customers to my own channels as a company, maybe it's easier to go where they are and use these platforms? Is that the idea? Yes, I think that is the main idea. If I'd like to put it in another way, we can you can say that in, in our personal space, we chat with each other every day. If nowadays you're in a workplace or you meet a friend, you don't ask them to call you. You probably say that I will, I will chat you and, and we will catch up on, on that channel. On the other hand, when we expect a person to, to get in contact with a company, 
they have to call a call center or send an email or send a, a written level, a letter. So this uh, chatbot is an opportunity to, to do, and that's like a, a strange phrase, mass personalization. That, uh, that a company can, can communicate with, with masses of, of users in a personal manner since it's automated and it has artificial intelligence in it. So, so this is really the, the company is moving where the users are. How personal can it be with a chatbot? Do chatbots really understand my problem? Is it really personalized or it's just the very basics that a chatbot can um, give as a service? There are many types of chatbots. There are really simple ones, which are almost just just a tree structure, just a menu system. And uh, there are chatbots which can get really personal, like uh, authenticate you, two-factor authentication, and then uh, tell you about your bank account's balance, initiate a transaction, or or get get really personal and really get things done. This is a this is a fintech related podcast, but but also chatbots can get get super personal. There are a lot of chatbots related to psychology or, or personal health issues, really? and they are very successful because because people are sometimes afraid to tell other people about their problems, especially if it's psychological or or personal health related, and if there's software that they can trust, so to say, that that gives an objective opinion. They are much more likely to share their concerns with the with the chat. This is an interesting trend. So chatbots can can get really personal, but it really depends on the on the technology behind how integrated these chatbots are and and really how how is the content. What are the most typical use cases of chatbots? If I like to categorize chatbots, maybe I, I create two big chunks. One is customer service related chatbot, the, the other is lead generating chatbot. So the customer service, obviously, it's, it's more reactive. The, the customer wants to approach a company maybe with, a, with an issue or concern or something has to be done. And then the AI chatbot tries to solve this problem in a fully automated way. By the way, there are so-called hybrid chatbots where a live person can can uh, connect with uh, with the customer, so it doesn't have to be fully automatic uh, all the time. Do in, customers know that it's a bot that they are talking to? In our case, in in case of the chatbots that Talkbot delivers on the market, every time we are very transparent about when when a person or or when a chatbot is is talking. So we announce that now X Y Z. Is, uh, is speaking to you and not the chatbot. And normally we create a personality to the chatbot, so it has, has its own distinctive style of communication. Because I, I think this should be very transparent. You shouldn't hide that this is, a, this is a software. Is it something that people, customers like or they dislike? Because maybe if I'm very frustrated on a service, I would like to yell at a normal human being, not at a bot or I don't believe that a bot can really solve my problem, how do people accept this? First of all, people like to yell a lot on chatbots. Really? Normally <laughs> when they understand that this is a piece of software, they test it. <laughs> and they, they test it with, with, with bad language nor, normally. And uh, in all of our chatbots, practically we prepare the software to respond to these adequately in the style or in the brand of our customers. So we, we have a, a client when, when the chatbot detects curse 
we curse back on the user in a funny way, but we curse back. There is another brand where we just say that, sorry, I don't understand. So we just, you know, like don't even detect the issue, although we detect it on a, on a software level. And in case of another brand, uh, which is kind of a funny one, that's an, an animal is the style of the chatbot. The chatbot announces that, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. And now you offended me. And I'm, I'm really sad now that you, you give me this language. And why don't you just use me for what I'm, I'm designed for? So, so this is again comes back to the personality and the style of the chatbot. But we normally, that, that's also why we announced that now this is a real human being. So you should treat the human being with actually more respect than the chatbot. <laughs> I see. So, okay. so, so these are the, the group of the customer that's service chatbots, and the other is the lead generation chatbots, where really it's more like a marketing tool to to engage customers and. And we have really good feedback regarding the lead generation chatbot from the, from the market that the engagement rate is, is much higher than traditional digital marketing tools. So normal Facebook uh, marketing campaign has a conversion rate of 1-2%. The chatbots can easily achieve over 10% conversion rates. Uh, we, have, we have campaigns like that in, in our portfolio. And, and also what is really exciting that once a company managed to, to we call it chatbot friend, to acquire chatbot friends, to, to get them to the chatbot, you can send them news later on, send them a chat message. Because this is Facebook Messenger and Viber. It's not like a web page where the chatbot is embedded in the bottom right corner. But this is your social media app that sits on your phone, your tablet, and your desktop. So if the company sends a message that now we have 10% promotion, for example, Dumasin has the stand-up comedy theater has such a chatbot and they openly announced that now about 16% of their online commerce comes from, from the chatbot as a, as a traffic. I think that's an outstanding result considering that the chatbot is there for, for a year. But I've also heard a statistic from, from the government uh, customer service agency that only organically 10% of their of their traffic went to chat instead of phone or or other other uh, different channels of engagement so people are are open to chat uh, they are open uh, to receive personalized promotions on this and personalized i would emphasize since if i know about somebody who is who is she or or he what is their interest then i shouldn't send irrelevant news and that's, that's and that's very important. Maybe that's also a generational difference. Uh, if I speak with uh, people, let's say about 40 years, they, they are really offended if they get a personalized offering because, because okay, how do they know this information about you? How did they find me? And, and why do they send me this? How do they know so many things about me? But if I speak with somebody generally below 40, they get offended if they get an irrelevant promotion. They want to have only relevant promotions because that's a waste of time if, if they are if they are bugged or if their time time is wasted with irrelevant promotions that's an interesting cultural thing which we detect within the users those are really attractive numbers uh, how should we imagine this in practice so a company creates a chat let's say on its facebook page or is it a separate yeah, it's under the Facebook page. Under the Facebook page. And then the chat tries to find friends. 
Yeah, that, that's the beauty of it from, from the user standpoint, that the first contact has to be by the user towards the chatbot. So the chatbot cannot just send you a message out of the blue. You have to make the first contact as a user. I and can... why would I contact the chatbot as a user? For example, we, we had a promotion with Arcad uh, Shopping Center in, in Budapest, who had a Facebook page with 70,000 likes. And we created an online promotion with some discounts and, and some lucky draw. And under a month, we gathered 120,000 people on the chatbot. Wow. And that's also an aspect that people are interested to try this technology. Mm -hmm. if, if, it's, if it's cool, if it has a, a cool personality and it gives promotion, then the word gets spread very easily and very fast. So most of our chatbots have at least 50,000 users or more. But we have, for example, the SIGET chatbot has 800,000 subscribed users. Wow. So, so these are really big numbers. And if a brand can use it smartly and starts to really nurture this uh, channel, then the business results come. This is something actually hard to get through to our customers and everybody has to get prepared for it. But if you open a new communication channel, it's a constant work. Also, if you release a web page and you don't update it for two years, probably you will have an outdated web page after two, <laughs> probably. two years. So you constantly have to evolve and upgrade the knowledge and also the, the functionality of the chatbot. Since this is a new communication channel, so it has to be update, up to date. And you say people are attracted to this new form. Is it also a generation issue? Is our generation or the generation below 40 typically interested in it? Or the older generation are also trying and happily use it? Yeah, that's something we also detect, that, that, that their interest and the reasons are different. But we see that all the generations are happy to try the, the chatbots. So we see the the content, the, the real uh, message of the users. of Actually, more than 3 million users used our chatbots. And we see what are the exact words that, uh, that they type in. And we can also see in many cases their, their profile, anonymized, but, but in general their, their profile. And, uh, and we see that all ages and races and, and uh, genders use uh, these, uh, these chatbots very easily. They are very intuitive in, in most of the cases. The problem is that, which is a good thing on, on one hand, the expectations are super high. Mm -hmm. So if somebody hears AI and chatbot, then they expect something like Apple Siri or Amazon Alexa or the Google Assistant, where you can ask these, these AI engines anything. If we are in the context of a bank or in a shopping center or an insurance company, People shouldn't expect that the chatbot will answer any, any question. It's only prepared for a certain subject. In that subject, it can give relevant answers, but it cannot really get, give relevant answers in anything else. So these, these chatbots become something like a mobile application. And instead of a mobile application, many, many brands consider launching a chatbot. We can do payment in chatbots as well. Again, it's something like a mobile application. But many, many brands discovered that for, for them, it doesn't really make sense to create an application. And I think many of the fintech players are like that. Yes. Maybe a bank has to release a, a mobile application to do online banking, but an insurance company nowadays, not many users are interested 
to, to, to keep an application on their phone. There are statistics that on average there are 5.6 mobile applications installed on top of the pre-installed applications on a phone. So if you're listening to this podcast, think about it. Is your brand in that 5.6 top apps that, that users really want and, and really use? If not, you can consider to use a super application and maybe if you're under Messenger or Viber, actually your service as an application can be under these applications and you don't expect people to go to your portal or read the emails which they don't (laughs) (laughs) or then you'll download your application. The, The other great thing that I like about chatbots is if you think about it, the user experience and the user interface is very much dominated by the chat platform itself. So the UI is already known and loved by the users and they are familiar with, with how to use it. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if somebody wants to develop a mobile application, actually about half of the cost is about user experience and, and user interface design. And even if you come up with a, with a superb UX UI, you expect the users to learn it just for the sake of your application. Instead, I think it's cheaper for the company and better for the user to, to go under a known and loved uh, user experience and user interface. So I think that's, that, that's a really good thing that in, in the chatbots that, that it's easier for the users and cheaper for the, for the customers. I'm convinced, absolutely. <laughs> and I understand how you wanted to get to an accelerator program which is um, a Techstars Accelerator, so one of the biggest in the world, but this was uh, powered by Rakuten, who we all know if we are Barca fans. <laughs> Can you tell a little bit about Rakuten Techstars and how you applied and why you applied? Yes, so Rakuten is a Japanese e-commerce company that was the first in the world to launch an e-commerce marketplace. It was launched by a single person, Hiroshi Mikitani, or Miki, everybody calls him and nowadays it's it's a behemoth company with 130 billion dollars of revenue 12,000 employees 70 different business lines in in dozens of countries they are leading ahead of amazon in japan and much of asia and they possess the largest credit card processing network in all over asia so so they are they are quite big company and two years ago they acquired viber one of the the biggest messaging platforms who has nowadays more than a billion users. And Talkbot has been the strategic so-called preferred enabling partner of Viber since we started. It's a a long-standing relationship. So when when Rakuten engaged Techstars to to run this program, our friends at at Viber actually uh, told us about the program and we should apply because this helps us to, to go from the, grow from the current Central European Viber relationship into Southeast Asia, because the program took place in Singapore, and then also to, to grow from Viber to a wider Rakuten cooperation. So we applied, uh, we went through the selection process and somehow we got in, which is... How many applied? How was the selection process? It's quite amazing to say, but there were 480 applicants from 38 countries and we got into the final 10. By the way, we are the very first Hungarian company to get into a Techstars program ever. And there are 1,700 Techstars companies. So so we are very happy to, to lead the way in this. 
especially because their their statistic just for people who are not very familiar with the startup ecosystem and, and tech stars in general if you consider to to start a startup company chances are very high <laughs> practically 95% that your company will die within one or two years so it's a very risky business on the other hand out of the 1,700 companies that went through a Techstars Accelerator, 90% are active or acquired, 90. Wow. So a 95% failure rate is transferred to a 90% success rate. I'm much more optimistic today than, than, than before about our, our success. So in the middle of July, I had the privilege to move to Singapore with my wife and, and the baby boy who was three months old back then to participate in this three months long accelerator program. The structure is such that in the first month you have a lot of mentor meetings. In the second period, there's a more academic or workshop part. And, and then the last month is about preparation for a big demo day where we make the announcements, uh, show our progress and, and tell it to investors in 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 singapore we had 300 attendees in the national museum and about 200 were were investors but but overall during the program we had we had a really great experience and we got introduced to an amazing network with tech stars so you said that the first part is the mentor madness how does it look like mad (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 called mentor madness for a reason it was uh, three intensive weeks in which we've met 66 mentors. So wow. Test has brought in 66 mentors. We got the CV of all the mentors we had to prepare. Also the mentors got our profile. They got to prepare as well. And then we had these quick half an hour meetings. No introduction, no small talk, just, just straight to business. Pitch the idea, get the feedback and then discuss whether the mentor can help us or not. In many of the cases, which was strange and a little bit frustrating to admit, that the mentors were not relevant at all. And then obviously out of the 66 people, there were three, four, five who were really super relevant. But Techstar shared with us that it's part of their know-how that if you can pitch your idea and show your value to 66 different businessmen, with various background, then, then you can probably tell uh, your message very well after that, which makes a lot of sense. Do I understand right that the aim of this mentor madness is that you meet 66 people, then obviously you practice how to pitch your idea, but also to choose three, four, five mentors that later you can work with? Yes, actually we had to pick one or maximum two so-called lead mentors. And uh, with these lead mentors, we got in touch every week throughout the program and and still, nights only bi-weekly. But uh, I got got really good lead mentors uh, who's uh, uh, Haruna Tanaka. Haruna uh, is is a very talented lady who sits in Tokyo in the CEO's office. So he sits like three desks uh, away from Hiroshi Mikitani, who's Japan's seventh uh, richest person. And she's responsible for strategic investments in, in Rakuten Empire. So I got to speak with her every two weeks, get her insights. She helps us to be introduced in, in Rakuten. Sometimes they offer their own lawyers because we, we tried to get some clients in India. And mm-hmm. she told me that, oh, we have lawyers in India. Why don't you send, send across your, your contract template? Let, let us look at it. 
which is which is very valuable. But uh, last week, for example, she has met the innovation department of of some of the the biggest automotive uh, manufacturers of Japan, and she pitched our company to those guys, and now we we get the door in, get get the way in for for those companies. Wow. Okay. So they they call it Techstars for Life. I think we we start to to feel this Techstars for <laughs> Life experience. So it goes way beyond the three months acceleration. That should be a good feeling. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah. it, it is a very good feeling. So that's about the mentor madness, and then in the second month, the second month, the program management invited a lot of tech stars alumni. So, for example, we had the CEO of uh, ClassPass, which is something uh, for the Hungarian listeners like Sportkarta in in Hungary, but they cover the whole US and Canada market, so they're a bit bigger, and <laughs> they are the ones who came up with this business concept and. Uh, They were in Singapore because they closed their C round investment with seventy-eight million US dollars with Tamasak Holdings, the Singapore government venture capital arm. And uh, the day after the announcement, they were in our office sharing their experience. They also went through TechStars just, I think, five years earlier. This is really like a, a very strong community. We had some other alumni and and also some some TechStars staff. For example, John Hild, who's the the VP responsible for TechStars Network, TechStars Connect, he's hired from LinkedIn. He was the PR manager of LinkedIn, and he created this like closed version of LinkedIn for TechStars specifically, which has three hundred thousand members. And uh, again, amazing statistics. He shared us that. If you ask for a recommendation or an introduction, your best chance is to get an intro from your friends and family. The the second strongest community is your university classmates and former colleagues. And actually, the TechStars network has a better hit rate than the university classmates and the and the former colleagues, and just slightly lower than your friends and family. Right. Okay. So so I think chances are about higher than eighty percent, definitely. That you get an introduction if you ask from anybody from the TechStars network. What was also during this period is a break week, which was not having a break, so it has a very bad name, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but but the ten companies were put in three groups. One of the groups went to Tel Aviv for Viper's global headquarter. The other group went to Tokyo to Rakuten's global headquarter, and I was in a in a branch going to San Francisco to Rakuten USA's headquarter. Which on that week had the Rakuten Optimism Conference. Rakuten, by the way, means optimism in in Japanese, and this was their very first global conference, showing off all the seventy business units. So on that week, all the Rakuten executives were in San Francisco, and we could meet a lot of them in a very structured manner. We we got introduced to the people, and we had a lot of business meetings. We had some promises that we can run joint pilots with Rakuten. Which we are working on, and then the conference was was also great. A lot of content in in downtown San Francisco, and just to to show the scale, at the end they had a Shakira concert to entertain the staff. <laughs> so it was a big conference. <laughs> okay, this is cool again. And then what about the last month? The last month was was really to to get prepared for the demo day. So we had strict deadlines to come up with a script. 
to come up with, with slight drafts. And then they hired a design agency to create very nice slides and animations and, and the flow. And then we had to practice the pitch to business mentors. We had to practice it with people about uh, stage presence and, and rhetorics. We even had to pick a colleague who was our clicker person because you cannot do clicking, uh, changing the slides on stage. So this was a very nicely calibrated show. Did you find it useful? The clicker. (laughs) (laughs) That also. But I mean, it has not very much to do with business to put so much effort into stage presence, presentation, how to talk. No, I I had the, the same assumption before that Okay, we are, we are wasting a full month on these five minutes and, and just to get a, a, a good pitch. And uh, again, this is part of the methodology that, that as, a, as a startupper, you, most of the cases really have like 30 seconds or, or a minute or maybe three minutes if you are very lucky to send your message and, and sell your idea to others. If you can't do it, you won't succeed. Even if you are super smart, even if you have a great technology, if you cannot tell it to other people, then you will die. And they kind of kicked it out of us to, to at least once in, in this stage, get a really concise message and send it to the, to the investors. So after the demo day, when, when all the pitches were done, we had a networking session where, where we could mingle with the investors, set up meetings. And then, and then take the relationship from, from there. Did you go there with the aim of getting investors? That was an interesting situation for me because even before we got into Techstars, we got a signed term sheet from, from Central European investors for a ticket of 2 million euros. So I was in a, in a strange situation that I, I met so many investors and I got uh, really good contacts. And then, okay, what can I do with them? We found this concept that, yes, I'm raising this round. We will close this round. But after that, probably within two years or maybe in, in one and a half years, we will raise another bigger round. So if you're interested and if you want to follow our path, follow our, our story, then let's create an investor mailing list and we will update you every quarter about our progress. So by the time we, we start to raise the next investment round, maybe 10 million in the, in the next round, you will already know us and you will already know what we promise and how we deliver. Yeah, sounds like a great strategy. Can we know about who did you sign up that term sheet prior to the Techstars? Yes, we were lucky to get uh, two great uh, institutional private venture capital firms. One is uh, Davon Capital, the other is Portfolion. Since we want to use this, this, these 2 million euros to, to invest into international business development. We want to make sure that our investors are really business-minded. And then thanks to the Techstars network, uh, we decided to, to set up our first subsidiary in Singapore. We hired the business development person in Singapore. So now we have a full-time staff who starts to crack the ice and, and, uh, and really to, to have our first customers there. So you choose to have C as the future market and besides that you set foot in Asia, right? 
That's maybe an interesting strategy because most of the startups that are considered successful in the Hungarian market or started from a Hungarian route went straight to the Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. say Some of them went to Germany maybe. And besides going from Hungary to Central Europe, we set foot in Southeast Asia. Well, future built out, <laughs> who is right, but uh, our business decision is based on the fact that Southeast Asia is growing actually much faster than these regions that, that we mentioned previously. And also that they have higher demand, but lack of supply in, in good technologies. So if you go to the Silicon Valley, we have to compete with all the, all the locals who, have, who can raise similar amount much faster and much sooner in their life uh, span. But in Asia, this is actually a very competitive uh, ticket that, that we have raised. And we feel that we can compete better and the economy is growing faster. So I think it, it makes a lot of sense. We already see the demand after just a, a few months of, of business development activity. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that we will be able to, to really have a, a stronghold in Asia and then grow from there. We'll see about execution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good luck for the execution then and thanks for the conversation. Thank you as well. I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I enjoyed creating it. Please let me know what you think. Give me your feedback. You can find Fintech Flow on all main social media platforms. I put the links in the show notes. 